You have to ask for favors, give favors, and network with a purpose. Create your life. Create a proper life. Create your life. Create your life. Create la tua vita. Create your life. On skip your life. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create la vie. Create your life. Create your life. Beautiful people, happy, happy Sunday. This is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. So happy to be here with you on today. It is a great Sunday, and it seems like the summer just hasn't wanted to leave us yet here on the East Coast, here in New York City, and so really, really happy about that. You know what I mean? I know some people, they want the fall. They want it to be here, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm happy that summer's around. You know, Skinny Brothers, we uh, make it. Uh, this is our season, you know, to uh, to rejoice, I would say. Um, so what's the point about that? I think that it's all about our lens, you know, how we see things. And last week, over the last week, I've had the opportunity to go uh, do a presentation in California um, with school board administrators, um, as well as superintendents and, and principals. And I did an exercise with them that was really based around um, understanding the lens that other people may see the world through. And oftentimes when we don't know a lot, such as, you know, being youth. And I, I was talking on the subject of Title I students um, who are usually your Eng English as a second language as well as uh, foster kids and uh, kids in poverty. And so, of course, I, I grew up as a Title I student twice over, being a foster kid and also being a student in poverty. And uh, what I wanted to, to tell and, and, and convey was to show that, you know, there's, you know, that there's a unilateral approach to dealing with students uh, and, and that that's not necessarily the way, you know, but everybody has a different perspective. Everyone has a different way of seeing things. So it's very important for us when dealing with others to be able to see things from their perspective in order to be able to relate and then get them to enroll and participate in changing their lives. So definitely understanding and affecting that lens. And, you know, that, that goes into multiple aspects of, of what it is that we're all doing uh, in life as far as living. You know, we have to see other people's perspectives. And, you know, I had conversations yesterday about Floyd Mayweather Jr. and his career, you know, and people were talking about him as the, you know, who he is as a person. And I said, you know, that's, you know, that's one thing. But I also, you know, I, I do a separation thing when I'm looking at certain aspects of what it is that he's been able to accomplish, you know, being able to make a billion dollars in his industry uh, as an active athlete. I said, you know, that's, you know, very, very uh, unique. And but it's important also to understand his work ethic and, you know, the things that he's been doing and why family and legacy has been so important to him. So there's definitely different sides of the coin. And so just always keeping that perspective at top of mind is very important. You know, and I think the biggest moral of the story from today's catch up is really adjusting your lens and how you approach your goals and doing the things that you love to do. So mixing that in uh, is really, really important. And uh, of course, that new picture will give you uh, so much growth and betterment. And today we actually have an amazing guest um, here with us. And I just want to read her bio because, I mean, I met her at an entrepreneur summit uh, for Black Enterprise out in Houston. She definitely killed 
uh, amazing person, but also killed the uh, the business uh, pitching competition and won, you know, a few thousand dollars there. But, you know, her, her bio reads that she's lovely by day and a ninja by night. She was raised in Kingman Park, uh, D.C., uh, District of Columbia, in a life insurance sales family. Uh, she graduated from Hampton University. Uh, with six honors, but also, you know, HBCU grad, so there's a lot of love there. But she studied at the, um, she studied international business and economics in Beijing, China as well in 2009. Uh, Forbes recognized her uh, for winning uh, Prudential's national case competition and selling her groundbreaking generation-wide marketing plan. So, you know, becoming a global market research analyst for Prudential, uh, she conducted over 70 financial behavior modification studies in 2010, um, the CEO requested her to lead Obama's Veterans Initiative research. And I mean, and the list goes on and on for all of the things that she's uh, done and been able to do. I don't want to read it or spoil the whole story for you, but Create Your Life Series family, I would like you to say hello to uh, Miss Angel Rich. And Angel, please say hello to the Create Your Life Series family. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to chat with you today. Oh, no, absolutely. Um Thanks for taking the time. I know you're there in D.C. How's the weather down there? You know, actually, it's kind of beautiful down here. I like to say that uh, Hurricane Harvey and Irma kind of repainted the sky. So we've been seeing some interesting picturesque clouds. Mm, Okay, okay. Uh, So, Angel, I kind of just want to jump right in and ask you, you know, you have your company, The Wealth Factory, Inc. Um, You guys have an app called Credit Stacker. Yes. Yes, which is amazing. I actually had downloaded it and I was playing it myself. Um, but I just want to go kind of go back because you, you've received so many honors. But I want to go back a little bit and ask you, how did growing up in a finance family, I would say finance because you, your family uh, did insurance. How did that shape you and your love for uh, teaching others about money? Yeah, so actually it had a major influence on my overall life. Um, great question. Um, Having been raised in a life insurance sales family with my family traveling around the country to help people with their financial needs, I kind of had the opportunity to enter into people's homes and offices and into their financial minds, if you will. Mm -hmm. And it always kind of boggled my mind as to why people didn't understand how to manage their money. So from a young age, I always thought to have some type of financial literacy company but I understood that there would need to be an immense amount of research conducted first because clearly there was a lack of understanding as to the best practices for managing money. money. Otherwise, I felt as though the communities would have progressed much further by now if there was a better understanding of how we needed to manage our money. Fortunately, I had great parents that were entrepreneurs, and they started giving me business books at a young age. Mm. So while everyone else was reading Dr. Seuss, I started reading Augmandino, Think and Grow Rich, Greatest Man in Babylon, different things like that when I was in elementary school. Wow. You were reading Rich, Richest Man in Babylon when you were in elementary? That's yeah, crazy. I read all of those books <laughs> by the age of 10. Wow. Man, kudos to your parents for, for making that happen. Um, yes, I agree. <laughs> wow, like, I mean, I'm just I, like I didn't, I didn't even hear about Richest Man in Babylon until I was either out of college or on my way out. So that that's awesome. Just that grooming of uh, making, putting you together right now. Okay, so now I'm, your trajectory, I feel like it was it was destined for you. So 
Tell us a little bit more about Credit Stacker, the, the app. Definitely. So we're extremely proud of Credit Stacker. Credit Stacker is the only mobile credit game in the world. We essentially reverse engineered the Fair Isaac Credit Reporting System or picked it apart, if you will, and applied game mechanics to it. So it's similar to Candy Crush, but instead of swapping around candy, you swap around colored pieces that represent credit types, the five major credit types, in mm-hmm. fact, that make up the credit score system. Mm-hmm. And you swap these pieces to be able to pay off your debt, achieve a high credit score, and learn from the multiple choice questions. We've been named the best financial literacy product in the mm-hmm. country by the office of Michelle Obama, the White House, um, the Department of Education, and J.P. Morgan Chase. And just recently, we're extremely proud to have been named top 10 in the world by Google, by our actual analytics of uh, downloads. We did 200,000 downloads in about two weeks on our most recent launch. So we've been doing quite well, and we're looking forward to scaling into the future and building out other games as well. Right, because you, uh, you've you been quoted saying that you want to create a financial literacy ecosystem. Yes, um, we actually are doing that. We have... Uh, 12 games in total with 12 modules, if you will. Mm -hmm. So many people don't know that money actually falls under the common core standards underneath of math. Um, There are these things called the personal finance common core standards. Our modules walk people in 12 different areas from birth to retirement to exceed these personal finance common core standards. We have a curriculum that strings all this information together in a lesson plan in addition to that, we have in-class activities and, and kind of um, workshops, if you will, to complement the modules, mm-hmm. as well as we're developing mobile games to go along with the modules, mm-hmm. and then we're connecting the games together to build a financial ecosystem's gamosphere. Wow. That's, that's pretty epic. Uh, so how did you decide that you were going to gamify finance? <laughs> like, how did that come together? You know... To me, it was just obvious, and for some reason, I'm not going to say for some reason, but, you know, I'm happy other people aren't doing it, um, and I'm actually about to do a TED Talk on financial literacy gamification, really solidifying myself as the pioneer of this area, mm-hmm. but basically, I had the opportunity when I was back in college, I walked into the library one day, and a group of people asked me to lead them in a Goldman Sachs portfolio challenge. Mm-hmm. I informed them I had never seen the stock market, had never completed a case competition, to which they said they were confident that I could lead them. After that, they showed me the stock market, and I created an algorithm where I also reverse engineered that kind of and did a aggression analysis. We did positive 2% when the market did negative 2%. Mm-hmm. And I asked myself, how would anybody figure this out? And I felt like there needed to be a game that would allow people to live out their financial life without the risk of them losing their money. For young people that are just entering into the financial world, for them to be able to have a fresh start, and for older people that are kind of at the end of their lifespan that don't want to have to work until they're 90, you know, until their grave, and being able to figure out how to rectify some of the mistakes they might have made. So it's applicable for all ages, from 8 to 80, and we feel as though it actually has changed some people's lives and is really going to be able to put a dent in poverty moving forward over the years to come. Hmm. Okay. So you were working at, at Prudential, uh, doing some amazing things over there, and then you kind of got the idea for your app in 2009? 
and then decided to yeah, quit, so quit. I was actually still in college mm, okay. um, when I came up with the idea for the app, but I didn't think that, again, you know, I was ahead of my time. Right. So screaming financial literacy, the Common Core Standards didn't come out to 2014. Right. Education technology, at the time in 2009, the only EdTech product was Blockboard. There was mm-hmm. no EdTech industry at all. And it, at the time, the dumbest thing you could have invested in was education. That was the, the theme across uh the venture capital industry. I got laughed out of so many meetings, it's not even funny. And mm. then thirdly, the word gamification didn't even exist. Um, Wharton didn't come out with a paper on gamification until 2012. So for me to come up with an idea to create a financial literacy education technology game in 2009, I literally sounded like I was from the future and just was just making up stuff. So I had to become a global market research analyst first Mm -hmm. so that I could uh, build a foundation around uh, being able to be able to speak articulately Mm -hmm. to the real actual problem and solution around financial behavior modification, as well as allow for technology and the industry to be able to catch up with the thought process. Right. And that's amazing because I think... What really matters is oftentimes people, you know, they see where you are right now. You know, you're getting a lot of press and a lot of things happening. But one thing that you said that stuck out to me was is that you you were so far ahead that you needed to go back and become an analyst so that you can understand and be able to speak to uh, what it is that your fourth, um, you know, your your fourth thoughts uh, were articulately so that people could actually catch up with you. I, I love yes, that. Yes, definitely. Um, how so? When you were being laughed out of these meetings because you were ahead of your time, what were some of the things uh, that kept you motivated? You know, to say that you know what I have something here and I really need to stick. You know, stay stay the course as far as, like they'll catch up with me. I know I'm ahead of my time, but I know this is the right thing. What kept you motivated in those times? You know, um, when I first came up with the idea, I didn't know if I was crazy or not myself. I really didn't, and. Sometimes, once a year, I look back at the very original PowerPoint that I did, and mm-hmm. I just crack up to myself. It's pretty much this, kind of the, the same idea. Some things have changed, and some things have remained. Um, but I did this thing where I used, to, I used to keep 30 mentors at Prudential, and I used to go around to the mentors as I was developing the proposal and ask them, in a hypothetical world, if there was a product like this, what would you think about it? Is this something you would buy? Is this something you think Prudential would buy? Mm. <laughs> and more and more people kept telling me yes. Um, then finally, I went and met with the CFO of Prudential, who was my actual, um, who was my actual, oh, actually a step in between that, I went and met with the president of annuities. And I showed it to him. And he said, my God, Angel, this thing could make billions of dollars a year. And um, he wanted me to sell it to them for like a half a million dollars and then go on my merry way, basically, and keep working for them. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Mm -hmm. And so you just told me this would make billions a year. (laughs) So so then the third step, I went and met with the CFO of Prudential, uh, Richard Carbone, who was Mm -hmm. my mentor, one of the loveliest men I've ever met. He had recruited me directly from Hampton and had the utmost faith in me. And he asked me, I told him I was thinking about quitting my job to start this company. And I'll never forget. He said, well, what is it, Angel? I want to make sure you're not off your rocker. <laughs> and then I told it to him. Mm-hmm. And he was like, wow. 
that's a really good idea. Well, let us buy it from you. And I said, well, I believe I can make this company more successful than you can. Right. And he agreed with me. Mm. He agreed with me. And so I said, I will be leaving soon. And he said, hopefully not too soon, right? I said, well, in the next few months, I'll be leaving. And then I left. And so I left him a voicemail the morning that I left and thanked him for everything and told him that I would be leaving. And um, he even tried to introduce me to the head of SATs, um, which is a good friend of his. And um, I just always held on to that, that, you know, here was one of the smartest. He was named CFO of the year that year. One of the smartest men ever, the only CFO that didn't take money from the government when the government, um, when the when the banks failed, the only ethical CFO that was on Wall Street. And so it's like for him to have the confidence that I could that I could succeed at this company and make it more successful than the largest financial services company in the world. Mm-hmm. Anytime I received a door shut in my face, I held on to that thought, and it still drives me to this day. I still can't wait for the day that I have a large enough platform to be able to invite Rich Carbone to come and be a keynote speaker. That is the, the day I'm waiting for. Okay. Well, I'm happy happy for you, actually, to see you uh, striving and going the way that you are. I mean, you know, it sounds like you did some you know, you did some testing, you know what I mean? Uh, target market testing uh, and to make sure that you were onto something that was really sustainable. And, and the feedback that you were getting back was billions, billions, billions. And you were like, I'm not selling this to you for thousands. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> so you're, you're essentially, you know what I mean? You're, you're setting your family up as well. You know what I mean? To, uh, to be able to inherit something and inherit legacy and, and wealth, you know, hence the name of your company, the wealth factory. So I really, uh, truly appreciate that about you. There's another interesting point that I saw in an interview that I thought was, uh, I, don't, I don't even know, kind of heartbreaking. But, you know, and I, it says that this was one of the catalysts for you, which was that you generated $6 billion in revenue for Prudential. You received a $30,000 bonus for it and then an offer to pay for your MBA. And that was kind of like the thing that really set you off and sent you on your merry way. Did I read that correctly? Yeah, definitely. Um, basically, you know, kind of the long and short of it, my very last year at Prudential, I had also made them millions before that, possibly billions, I don't know. But mm-hmm. the very last year, I made them $6 billion on a very specific project, um, changing industry standards around problem resolution. Mm-hmm. At the time, industry standards was three days, and Prudential was taking six days to solve problems. And I did a research study uncovering that if you were to solve problems in two days, satisfaction would go up by 70%, and we would save $6 billion, and we did. We went from number 16 to number 4 in one year. And uh, all wow. type of other results came about as a result of that and um, really helped to elevate the company. And so they put me on a CEO track gave me a double promotion, $30,000 bonus, and a full ride to Wharton, to which I went to Africa because I had never had a vacation before. And I still felt uncomfortable with the idea of having a vacation, so I actually went on a mission trip with my church. Mm-hmm. And while we were there in Salawa, Kenya, building this well, I met a little boy in a Wharton T-shirt, and it was his only piece of clothing. Now, mind you, I had just received this offer to go to Wharton, 
So it sort of became an omen to me that this little boy in poverty, only piece of clothing was Wharton. Like, I promise you, nobody in that village even knew what Wharton was. Mm. And so I, I deeply inquired as to how they got the shirt. Apparently, people donate clothes and it ends up there and stuff like that. Mm. And so um, basically... I realized that this little boy, no matter how smart he was, because of the location that he was born, would never have the same equal opportunity as somebody mm -hmm. that was born perhaps in D.C. or London. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel as though that was fair just because of ge geographic Location. limitations. Mm -hmm. And so when I came back to Prudential, I didn't feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I ultimately decided to make that phone call to Rich and tell him I was leaving the company so that I could create or help to create equal access to financial literacy all across the world. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe that that is essential to us reducing poverty and being able to close this wealth gap. Wow. Absolutely. And it's super, super important. So do you still keep in contact with anyone out there uh, in the villages or was that kind of like just a, a defining moment for you? And did you attend Wharton as well? So, actually, I actually do keep in contact with the people in the villages. I look forward to going back to the boarding school that I volunteered at while I was there as well. Um, the pastor of my church is president of Four Corners International, which is other pastor, um, Pastor Cato, and they go back and forth in leading mission trips to that exact same village every year. So, our church has kind of adopted that village. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I, I actually do keep in touch with them. And no, I have not gone to Wharton yet, but I am the graduation speaker for Wharton on my birthday this year in December. <laughs> oh, congratulations. So I'm excited. Well, well, how about that? You know, it was an omen right? for you. <laughs> How about that? You know, you don't need the degree. <laughs> and it's interesting, you know, because... On my birthday at that. When's so, your birthday? you know, when God speaks, people just got to listen. That's Very all. True. Just listen. He's speaking. <laughs> Very true. When is your birthday? December 2nd. Okay. Okay, my nephew's is December 4th, so shout out to oh, y'all. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, making yeah. it happen, making it happen. Um, Wow, I'm super, I'm I'm happy, you know, because oftentimes one of the biggest things is that, you know, we try to rush things or we try to go with where, you know, everybody else says that we should be doing. And what I like about what you're saying right now is, number one, when they tried to buy you out of your own company, you know, very, very early on, you see you stuck to your guns. And then even with that, you decided that you, you know, you were going to take your own path. You, you necessarily stuck to your gut and didn't even attend Wharton. And now here you are on the flip side by following your dreams, you know, and listening, which is one of the biggest things that one could do. You're, you're the speaker on your birthday. That, you're trailblazing, Miss Rich. You're trailblazing. Thank you. I appreciate it. No, absolutely. Um, so I, I got to ask you this before we cut to uh, commercial break, to musical break. Um, what were some of the things that you had to put in place um, while you were there working in order for you to be able to exit the job, right? Because I know one day you didn't just say, oh, you know what, I'm leaving, and you just drop everything. <laughs> you kind of put a plan together and put some things in place. What were some of those things? Can you give us, like, three three things that you made sure that you had in place for you to go ahead and, and quit and go full-time entrepreneur? Okay, so my response to this is so deep, you might not even believe me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> go. I started plotting on quitting my job freshman year of college. Okay. So the day I got to Hampton, mm -hmm. I told the dean of the biz school of business that I was going to go work for a major life insurance company. Mm -hmm. At the time, 
at the at, at still to this day, it, it is an extremely difficult task to infiltrate the global market research department of a life insurance company. I mean, that is that is like you might as well try to like stick a camel through the eye of a needle. Like it is really really difficult. I'm talking impossibly difficult, like really difficult. And so like everybody told me I wouldn't be able to do this. Every single person I ever met with told me I would never be able to be a researcher in a life insurance company. So that was step one. So step one was I had to make straight A pluses in college to be able to be smart enough and in a position enough so that when that case competition came along for me to sell that marketing plan to Prudential, I was abreast enough of the industry and of myself to be able to secure that position as a global market research analyst. That was still step one. Mm-hmm. Four-year step right there. And I had to be smart enough to not follow this invisible pressure timeline of completing the five-year MBA program that I entered at Hampton I decided to drop out of that program and do a double major in marketing and management instead so I could further strengthen my market research skills so that I could secure a market research job at a life insurance company. Again, we still on step one. (laughs) Step two, I had to get the job. (laughs) So, I mean, this was one of the hardest things. I can't express that enough. By the grace of God, they came with this case competition because just applying for a position, I would have never got it. I would have never, I would have never been able to be at a life insurance company. Mm-hmm. But they came with this case competition, so I was able to win that. Once I won that, I was able to pick any position I wanted to. That allowed me to get into the life insurance company. That was step two. Step three, once I got there, I immediately started living off of half of my income, and I immediately joined the Black Leadership Foundation day one that I got there. Literally, they were having a meeting that day. Mm -hmm. So that day, I started campaigning for African-American financial experience study, and I started living off of half of my income so that after I completed the study and would be a national success, I could quit my job after three years to be able to found the company. So once I I completed the African-American study, I literally transferred to Connecticut the next day. That was my last day when we announced it with CNN went off, wanted to prove to myself and the company I could start something from the ground up, started the first satellite research department at Prudential in Connecticut, and then made them the $6 billion, had 100000 saved up, paid off $100,000 in debt, and then quit my job. Wow. I mean, <laughs> what I'm hearing from you, I, I got three things from you uh, that, you know, just stuck out. Number one, you plotted since you was a freshman, you know, then you said that you lived off of half of your income. I think that that's huge and something that people don't understand is that, you know, you definitely going to have to make those financial sacrifices. And you did it up front because, again, you had that plan since you were a freshman. And you said you saved up 100K? Yep. So you saved the 100K and then you paid off the 100K. So. Yeah, because I graduated uh, with $180,000 oh, in debt. Mm-hmm. from college. I put myself to school. Mm. So I had to pay off about 100. I paid off about 100K. Uh, I've, I've now, finally, as of last year, paid off everything. Mm. But um, at the time when I left, uh, I paid off about 100K and, um, and saved up 100K. Yeah. Okay. So you so you basically put together 200 and then put 100 towards the loans and then put 100 
uh, for you to be able to uh, to sustain? Well, what I did was I put I lived off of half of my income literally from day one because I never wanted to fill it. I had just been making eight dollars an hour working at Walmart. Like I didn't need all that money I was about to be making, so I would put half of it up. I had eight different accounts that I was putting my money in: uh, life insurance, uh, personal life insurance, group insurance, uh, employee stock, personal stock, four hundred one k matching. Um, uh, savings with interest, all type of stuff. I had my money stashed and growing in various different ways. Mm. And so, um, so I did that. That's how I grew the hundred K. And then the money that I actually would receive from my paycheck, mm-hmm. the money that I would have left over, all I had was rent and electricity. I sold, I donated my car when I moved from Hampton to, uh, Prudential, mm-hmm. uh, to the Salvation Army. So I could write that off. I was living in Newark, so I didn't need a car. So any extra money that I had, I would pay down debt every month with it. So that's how I paid off the debt. And then the other half of the money was growing in interest that was being put up every month. So that's how I did it at the same time over the course of three years. And then I doubled my salary during the time I was working at Prudential. Um, I started make I started off making about 55, and I was making about 91 by the time I was 24 when I left. Okay. Well, all right, Miss Rich. Um, I mean, see, I just wrote a yeah, no pun intended. I mean, I, I only I wrote a book on how to graduate school for free, and you know, because I graduated for free, and I got this oh, online program that teaches parents and students how to graduate college for free. But I mean, you got the whole, you know, what I mean, you got the strategy from freshman year all the way up to you know, double the salary, live off half the salary. So I feel like, man, my people need to hear you know that Angel Rich blueprint. Uh, so I'm definitely, you know, telling the people who are uh, a part of the Debt Free College Academy family to get with Credit Stacker uh, and have done that already. But um, we're going to cut to a quick musical break and we will be back, Miss Rich. So uh, please stay on the line. And I'm sure we have a lot more uh, things, <laughs> questions for you. Uh, beautiful people, uh, you're listening to WACR 90.3 FM. And I want you to know that if you have any questions for Miss Angel Rich, please call into the studio 212-650-6903. This is the Create Your Life series. I'm Kevin Brown. We have Angel Rich of the Wealth Factory here. And if you don't know, now you know, download Credit Stacker app. It's available on, uh, in the Apple iTunes uh, store and also on Google Play. Here's Rihanna with Needed Me. Hi, I'm Diane. I have a daughter, Nikki, and she's a senior at high school. She just got accepted for early decision into college. Prior to taking Kevin's program, we were pretty overwhelmed because her college debt after her merit scholarships looks like it's going to be about 150000 in four years. Feeling pretty overwhelmed about that 150000 potential debt, I decided to enroll in Kevin's debt-free college academy full course program and I have to say the value for the money uh, for what we got out of the program was absolutely amazing. Kevin takes you step by step with many many different tips and many different strategies for not only the student but for us as parents for our student things that we can do to really help save money and prepare. If you or your child are looking to save money on college costs, sign up for Defree College Academy today at DefreeCollegeAcademy.com using coupon code FREECOLLEGE. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and we are back. We have Miss Angel Rich here of the Wealth Factory, Inc., and also the uh, creator of the Credit Stacker app. Angel, are you with us? 
Yes. Cool. Super happy to have you back. Uh, before we left and we'll cut to a musical break, you were just blessing us with the strategic plan that you put together in order to uh, have your exit um, and go into your own company. Um, my question for you is, I see that you have a, a very um, high-level C-suite team, and I want to know, how did you decide who would be on your team um, when building and planning out your company? Yeah, so um, actually that's been a work in progress mm -hmm. that we've had to uh, work on over the past couple of years. We started with uh, Courtney Keene, who is our co-founder and chief operations officer. She mm -hmm. also um, was my doormate back in college, and okay. so we had the opportunity to get to know each other for quite some time now. Mm -hmm. um, and then Dominique Broadway, Mm -hmm. She uh, came on board in January, and she is one of the foremost leading speakers for financial literacy with millennials. Right. And then we have uh, Lawrence Hillman, who we're really excited about as our chief branding officer. She's been making a lot of the uh, splash and headways that you've been seeing mm -hmm. um, with a lot of the press that we have. And then recently, we brought on Sammy Howes, who is going to be leading our game design effort. Amazing. And what I love is is that there's so many powerful uh, women in your C-suite making things happen. So we, we really appreciate that here over at the uh, Create Your Life series. Um, Forbes did an article on you entitled, uh, Could the Next Steve Jobs Be a Black Woman? And um, it says, you know, not if she only gets funding crumbs. But what comes to mind when you hear and see that you're being compared to Steve Jobs? Not just because of talents, but also because, you know, because of, you know, who you are and, and skin color, I guess, too. You know, um, I think that, that that it represents a lot of progress, but it also represents that title in itself represents the progress that could be made. You know, mm -hmm. the original title of the article was The Next, the Next Steve Jobs, A Black Woman. Mm -hmm. And um, after a while of, you know, like I literally got contacted by different people and had to validate a lot of different things. And people was kicking dust left and right. Like, how could you name this black woman mm -hmm. the next Steve Jobs? And mm -hmm. other magazines even came out with uh, articles on why a woman is the next Steve Jobs trying to dismiss the black woman. And statistically, if you think about it, it would be a black woman. You know, um, black women have the most successful ventures um, out of every other uh, industry, and the diverse companies in general outperform other companies by 35% right now. So just logically speaking, it would make sense that a black woman would be the next Steve Jobs. So I'm very excited to see uh, Forbes put out an article like that. Um, I just wish they also stood by the original title that they had as a gesture to the industry and not give in to um, any pressures that they might have received to to curtail the title into a question. And so, um, so that, that actually kind of bothered me a little bit. But I believe at the same time that there are, that there is progress being made. Um, granted, the progress is, is glacially slow. In 2014, there was only 14 black women that received over a million dollars. Now, I'm happy to report that in 2017, there are now 22, 22 black women, including the original 14. Mm -hmm. So we've only grown by six black women 
over the past three years. Now, that's progress. The numbers could be negative, um, but I would like to see that progress expedited and enlarged in a very serious way. So um, it, it, it makes me feel great um, to receive such a high honor and title, but I look at the, the uh, growth of the larger community more so than I do myself. I appreciate that about you. It seems in, you know, through your, through your past interviews and also through what you're saying here is that this this entire movement that you're on, this uh, fintech, ad fintech movement, is bigger than you. And I can appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, completely. Got another question for you, though. You know, though you've been decorated with several awards and accolades, you know, uh, being, the, you know, named the best learning game in the country by the Department of Ed, renting several uh, grants, you know, for in business competitions, um, I noted that you, at a point, you were only able to raise $200,000, but a competitor was able to raise $75 million. Um, but to me, what I'm hearing from you is, is a, a story of perseverance and very, very strategic planning in terms of your business as well as in terms of who it is that is uh, your advisors and C-suite. You said you had 30 mentors at Prudential. So how important for you is it to raise significant funding uh, for your project as a woman and as a woman of color? And why do you think it is that you, he, this competitor raised $75 million and you only got 200000 at that point? Yeah, so since, so since the article, we have now raised um, 473. But also, since then, our competitor has now raised $190 million. Okay, so 473000 so to $190 million? Just trying to make sure I got the numbers Yeah, okay. Yeah, they now have $190 million. Wow. And we now have 473 And this was all done after we beat them as best learning game in the country in December. So um, so that tells me that, um, that logic is not being employed here. So basically, it, it, for that reason, it does become very important um, as a black female. I actually got sat down by who's kind of become a mentor of mine, um, Kwame, with the Black Angel Tech Fund. And he told me he was so proud of me as to what I was doing and where I was going and how important it actually was for me to go ahead and raise the next round with the million dollars. Not just because if uh, in the name of... Uh, because I need the money, you know, that might be one aspect of it, but just from the greater good of the, of the larger community and being able to show that it can be done because I can do it right now, um, being able to show that it can be done for fellow entrepreneurs as well as for future entrepreneurs that are sitting in the audiences of these schools that are graduating each year, you know, being able to know that they can go forward and become an entrepreneur. And it might be a hard road, but the funding will be there for them. So on both ends, not only for the growth of my company and for the employee salaries that I have to pay, mm -hmm. but just for the black and black girl management uh, movement at a whole, I need to go forward and raise the rest of this money. What are some of the, I guess, what are some of the indicators? Like, I, I understand that this person with the 190, you're at 473,000. Have you guys thought about pivoting? Or how is it that you guys are using your compass in order to know which way, you know, if you should change anything or if you should just stay consistent? What are some of those things that you use uh, in order to make sure yeah, that you're on your... us not raising money has nothing to do with our business model whatsoever. Um, yes. Time and time again, at mm -hmm. this point, we've proven that it's just straight-up discrimination. Okay. I mean, just literally, we became we came in ninth in the world in October, and the top eight received a million dollars. No woman has ever come in the top eight of 43 North in the top four years, in the past four years that they've been running it. 
So mm-hmm. certain things just become poignant that it's just straight discrimination when, when it comes to when it comes to ideas. Um, like I said, we literally just won best learning game in the country. Mm-hmm. We uh, were head-to-head with Everfly for six hours during that competition, and we won. Mm-hmm. So we have the superior product. We're the only ones that's mobile and international. We just got named top ten in the world by Google. Right. So it's basically just a matter of venture capitalists choosing to ignore the power of what this black woman is doing. I actually just said that when I was pitching in uh, St. Louis recently. Mm-hmm. This German man asked me something about why we wasn't raising money, and I was like, let me explain the magic that is before you. And so okay. it is basically um, a matter of just people just choosing to be oppositional um, to what we're doing. And um, oftentimes people naively think that our mission is just maybe social and not so much to make money. And at just first look at it, they say, oh, Everfi had so much. How could you possibly compete with that? But when you talk with actual real venture capitalists, especially those that are ethical and involved in the education industry, they don't believe that Everfi is going to be sustainable or that it's a real need ever to raise $190 million on a startup company that isn't churning revenue the way that it should be. But I'm going to leave it there (laughs) with the competitors. (laughs) Um, But we know that our business model is far superior than any other financial literacy product out there. Mm. And uh, what I'm hearing from you is, is that, like you just said, you know, your your product is superior. You're seeing it in competitions and things like that. To me, it sounds like, again, they need to we need to catch up with you. Miss Rich, that's that's what that's all I keep hearing is is you just, you know, know, sometimes at some point, you know, it's a gift and a curse because, by, I like to just chuck it up to God work in mysterious ways, and I honestly don't stress over it. Other people make a deal about it, but I really kind of don't. I make a deal. I make a big deal about it in terms of the fact that there is discrimination here. Right. But um, in terms of me, in terms of it affecting me, not so much. Mm. Would it be nice to have more money? Yes, but it's also nice that I still own eighty two percent of my company, and I just got named the next Steve Jobs. Yeah. So I, we, we I clapping would for you in the studio. Me and Leah, we clapping for you in the studio. Than having taken two or three million dollars, <laughs> and I only own thirty percent of my company right now. Right. I love it. I love it. So here's a question for you: What are some of the top resources that you use in order to make sure that your company um, is, is running greatly? Current. So for me, it kind of boils down to networks and mentors. I like mm-hmm. to pick organizations that are led by great people and comprise themselves of great people. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite organizations for that is Black Female Founders, led by Aaron Hall McKinney. Okay. Um, we also have Black Women Tech, uh, Talk Tech with East Sosa, with e- uh, Cosign out of New York. Um, we have Visible Figures, led by Stephanie Lampkin. We have Project Diane, led by uh, Catherine Finney. We have the Harriet Fund, um, led by, um, um, her name is Escape Gala. Um, we have Backstage Capital, led by Arlen. And we have New Me, led by Angela Benton. Uh, we have Global 1000, which I'm now the chair of, um, led by uh, Dr. Lance McCarthy. And so um, I basically like to insert myself, myself into these organizations, get very close with their leaders, learn from their experience and then network and grow business with the people within that, that network. Okay. So networking is definitely one of the top resources that you're using. And I love that. I love oh, that. You 100%. Just I would give 80, that 80% of my success 
Mm. And you know what's funny is, is I felt like a lot of the accomplishments that you've had very early on, even up until now, have all been at a certain high level. And I felt like, you know what, her network must be amazing. What are some of the one of, what are some of the tips that you would give to our listeners um, in terms of really increasing their network and uh, net worth, essentially? Well, I would look at this from two ways. Um, first of all, you need to network with a purpose. Whenever I'm somewhere, it's because I specifically want to meet somebody at that place. Mm -hmm. um, I've already decided that I have a goal. I've already researched what organization it is. <laughs> That's important. Uh, I just remember the time, the first time I started doing this, Bill Howe in Connecticut, he was head of multicultural education for the state of Connecticut, and I wanted uh, to find out about the personal finance common core standards. I tracked this man down, asked the question while he was on stage, went up to him afterwards, shook hands with him, followed up with the meeting afterwards, and then he introduced me to the head of education for um, Connecticut. And then I got an advanced copy of the personal finance common core standards before they was even released to the government. And so all of that, because I tracked this man down. <laughs> So you got to network with a purpose. I just wasn't there to be at this multicultural education conference. I was there to meet Bill Howe and make my presence known in doing it. Mm -hmm. And so people have to really be active and advantageous about that. And then secondly, a closed mouth don't get fed. I have a friend named Trevor Brooks um, with Gun Bell out of Baltimore, and him and I were exchanging favors, and he asked me what I wanted from him. I was like, you know what? I always wanted to meet Ray Lewis. He's real big on financial literacy introduced me to Ray Lewis. He was like, what you doing this weekend? I was like, what you need me to be doing? He was like, fly to L.A. I was like, cool. Flew to L.A., met uh, Ray Lewis, became a member of Global 1000. Eight months later, I'm now the chair of Global 1000. And so, and I've been traveling around every month, uh, every month, six weeks with Ray Lewis to various different cities and mm -hmm. have his cell phone number in my phone. And so if I had never opened my mouth to ask travel for that, that would have never happened. And so... What's one of your favorite quotes or slogans that you live by? My um, ultimate slogan um, is, your imagination can take you anywhere. And I've lived by that since I was three years old. And that actually comes from Wishbone. I don't know if you remember Wishbone, the, the reading, the magical reading dog. Yeah. They used to come on <laughs> PBS. <laughs> but that's my inspiration. I've seen every single episode of Wishbone. And I always felt like my imagination could really take me anywhere. So when I decided I was going to go live and this little black girl was going to go live in China, that's what I did. When I decided I was going to create a financial game, that's what I did. When I was going to create this African-American study, that's what I did. I even worked on the BP oil crisis and provided one of the suggestions for pouring concrete underneath of the water. Rich Carbone was a former Marine, and he called me in to help him with that. So it's like... It's all type of projects that I've worked on that people won't even ever know that I helped to influence. Mm. But it's just all about dreaming big. In a previous interview, you had stated that you uh, that you feel like you'll feel successful uh, when you're in a printed version of Forbes and you have five hundred thousand dollars in the bank. Do you still feel that way, or has you know your definition of what success is has it changed? Like what what is uh, Angel Rich's definition of success? No, I probably won't still stick with that because I haven't accomplished that yet. Okay. So it's, until I reach that milestone, and I'm I'm one that's big on, uh, you know, Napoleon Hill, the power of positive thinking. 
he talks a lot about making to-do lists and actively checking the things off on the to-do list mm -hmm. because no matter how small it is, um, because it provides um, mental motivation and stimulation for you to proceed to the next goal. So I'm real big on when I have a goal, I don't move on to a next goal until I've actually accomplished that goal because otherwise I'm just telling myself stuff mm -hmm. and just making ideal plans. So um, I find it very important that I actually accomplish that goal. And who I actually think, hopefully, I will meet that goal by next year. I'm, I'm, I'm on a serious campaign for Forbes 30 under 30. Um, voting just ended yesterday, and fundraising is looking really good right now. So I should uh, accomplish that goal by next year. Okay. Yeah, well, finally take a breather or so. <laughs> yeah, because you said you don't take no vacation. vacations. I still haven't had a vacation. Right. You said you don't take no vacations. I like, I like your work ethic. Uh, so <laughs> here's the question that nobody can escape the Create Your Life series without answering. What three things, Miss Angel Rich, would you tell someone who is looking to create their best life? Okay. First of all, you need to ask yourself, what would you wake up and do every day for free if you was wealthy and money wasn't an issue? Whatever that is, that's what you need to be focused on. That's step one. Then step two, they need to actually make a plan towards that goal. I feel as though anything could be accomplished in 10 steps. Step 10 is whatever the answer to step one was, you know, whatever that goal is that they're trying to accomplish. That's number 10 on the list. Number one on the list is wherever they're at. Number five on the list is that midpoint, and then they need to fill in the years in between or the, the timeline in between. What are these 10 steps that's going to take to get me from day now to day in the future that I'm accomplishing this goal? And then thirdly, once they accomplish this goal, what does success look like? What does that vision board look like? And what do they plan to do with it? Are they just going to spend money? Are they just going to lay on a beach? Are they going to give it to charity? Are they going to open up a school? What legacy are they then leaving after they decide, after they've reached that, that moment of success? What, what's next? What happens then? What legacy is then being left? Mm. Okay. And just real quick, because, I mean, that, that was gold that you just dropped. But you, you described 10 steps, your 1 through 10. Where can people find that 1 through 10? You know, I should actually patent that or something. I don't know. I mean, I, the out. more I think about it, I don't know. If other, I've, I've never seen that anywhere. I just made that up on my own. But you, anytime I have a goal, no matter how impossible it is, that's mm -hmm. what I do. And it calms me. Right. And so, and I've shown it to people. I've calmed people with that. One time I even showed people how I could be president in 10 steps. And at the end, they were like, Miss Rich, I think you could be president. I was like, you know what? I think so too. Look at this list. Right. So can you, uh, can you walk us through those 10 things? I really do feel like you can accomplish anything following this, 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 uh, this path. So maybe I'll put something together and um, send it to you and put it up on my website or something. But uh, I really do feel like people should practice that. I don't think you can go wrong if you do that. As long as you follow the steps. I mean, you just laid it out. Okay. So, yeah, can you run through those, those uh, 10 things really quickly? Because I'm sure our listeners are, are dying for it right now. Definitely. I will definitely go ahead and kind of repeat the process. So you whip out a sheet of paper, you mark it 1 through 10. Gotcha. 1 is wherever you are today. 10 is wherever you're trying to be. If that's president, if that's promoted, whatever the goal is, have a child, whatever the goal is, that's number 10. 
Then number five is the midpoint. What does the halfway point look like for success? And then you go back and fill in the different things in between. Okay, I like to do it back and forth. So what's number nine? What needs to happen right before step 10? Okay, that's number nine. Go back to number two. What's the very next thing I need to do after today? Okay, go back to number eight. What needs to happen before step nine? Fill that in. And then work your way backwards. And next thing you know, you're at five, and five should be the midpoint. And that's how you know you've created an effective list from one through ten. Then if you really want to take it all the way there, you then put dates beside it. Okay, I want to be president by 2025. This year is 2017 on step one. The halfway point is 2020. So this is where I need to be on step five by 2020. And keep yourself accountable for that. And then from there, you break it down into smaller lists where you then go back and create a one through ten just to get to step two. And then each one for that. But you keep that master list of the one through ten for the bigger goal that you're trying to get to. Wow. Thank you, Miss Rich. I think, man, we we could do a whole show on that by itself. You know, that, that blueprint <laughs> backwards planning. I love it. Um, what, so what's coming up next for you? What, what's going on? What, what we, what we got going, you know, with the wealth factor? Well, what I'm, ex- what I'm excited about, what I found out actually during your commercial break just now mm-hmm. is, um, they're actually going to do a feature on the, on ESPN tomorrow on Undefeated. Yes. So I'm really excited about that. That was one of my goals that I've had for the past four years to just even have them throw the logo up on ESPN. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What time yeah. tomorrow? So, um, you know, we can make sure that we blast something out there for you as well. Yeah, so I'll definitely let you know. I don't know the exact time that Undefeated comes on. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's the show. Okay. Um, but I could find out and let you know that as well as the 10-point uh, list. Yeah, yeah, and, um, and be able to shoot that over to you because I would love for you to blast that out. Also, I have been nominated for Hamptonian of the Year. So I'm now starting that campaign. It runs from September 15th through October 15th to have as many people as possible vote for me for Hamptonian of the Year. Okay. And, and how so do we vote for you? Basically, Where do we go? Basically, um, I'm trying to, to be able to... Uh, exercise that and get people to vote for me. Okay, so how do where do we go to vote for you, and, and you know how do we support? You know, they what's crazy is he actually has not sent out the link yet, but it's some type of way on Hampton University's website. So I will provide that to you as well, so that you can send that out. That's why I haven't even posted it on my Facebook page. I've been waiting for them to provide us with the link for people to go to. Okay, but as soon as that becomes available, I will definitely provide that as well. Okay, and so last question. And then everyone can also always buy my book. On Amazon.com, History of the Black Dollar. We have a tour kicking off with that um, starting in October. Okay. And so how can we stay in contact with you? Social media, website, hashtag? Definitely. I love tweets and followers. So I'm at AngelRich27 uh, on Twitter. Um, no, I'm not. That's actually Instagram. On Instagram, I'm at AngelRich27 as well as at WealthyLife. On Twitter, I'm at WealthyLifeBurst. And on Facebook, um, at Wealthy Life and at Angel Rich. Okay. Awesome. Well, Angel, thank you so much for being a guest here on the show today. Uh, thank you so much. I highly enjoyed the interview, and I would definitely um, get those things over to you in the in the next day so that you could uh, especially be able to promote it out for um, ESPN. Okay. 
Awesome. Well, beautiful people, you heard it here. We have Miss Angel Rich on from the Wealth Factory, Inc. Go and download Credit Stacker, whether you have an Android or an iPhone. It is there in the stores. Beautiful people, if you enjoyed this episode of the Create Your Life series, be sure to download it from our podcast, which is available on createyourlifeseries.com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Music. Also, be sure to leave a review of the podcast. You can catch us live on Sundays from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via 90.3 FM in New York. We encourage you to participate in the conversation. Call in at 212-650-6903. Follow us on Instagram at CYL Series and at Kevin Y. Brown. Be blessed, and we'll see you back here live next week. Happy, happy Sunday. This is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and 